perfect. Hey everyone, and welcome to Chef AJ Live. I'm your host, Chef AJ, and this is where I introduce you to amazing people like you who are doing great things in the world that I think you should know about. Well, today is the last Tuesday of the month, which means it's time for Move Well to Age Well with Eileen Kapsoftis. And today she's going to be discussing aging with a strong, pain-free back. I mean, who wouldn't want that? Please welcome her to the show. Yes, thank you. I'm so, so honored to be here and so thrilled. You have the best audience. And I oh, know I've said that more than once, but it's so true. I can't say it enough. Well, thank you. And they are very fond of you. And I know some people have become private clients and have taken your boot camp. So we, we thank you. You're a gem that an undiscovered up until we discovered you. You were an undiscovered gem in the plant-based world. And you are helping me make my megaphone bigger, right? So people can hear this stuff because they have to know this stuff. So Well, it's so important because, you know, I have all these doctors on that have regular shows like Dr. Esser, and he talks about how important exercise is. And when people have pain, that's, I mean, they still eat when they have pain, but the exercise, they don't. Right, right. Because when it hurts to move, you stop moving. Exactly. And then it just snowballs into all kinds of other stuff. So my goal is to show people how to move and create movement that actually addresses the reason they have the pain. Yeah, so. absolutely. Absolutely. So, all right, well, I've got some slides and then I'm going to go downstairs to the gym and show some movements for the back. So, and I, I kind of planned it a little different because then you never know what people are, are dealing with. Right. And so hopefully I always tell people, make sure you know what you're not supposed to do, especially if you've been told that by a doctor um, or, or some other movement expert. But uh, so I'm going to show it like three different levels of movement to kind of get started. So people who are pretty limited and really aren't sure what to do, it's just going to kind of grease the wheels and get them going. And then we've got a little a little step beyond that and then another little step beyond that. And what I'd like to do, because the back is such a big problem, I mean, eight out of 10 people have back pain at some point in their life. I thought this would kind of be a part one and I would do a part two next month and I'd show up more movements and a little more about the back. So because it is so important. So Great. can't wait. Go ahead and share my screen here. All right. So, um, it, you know, obviously we all want to move well to age well. And, and I'd have to thank AJ for that title because I was I had something just a little bit different and she tweaked it and it's perfect. It's just perfect. So we do all want a strong pain-free back, no matter how old we are, right? Even if we're 12. I can't tell you how many times I, I would go to the local schools. Part of my job when I was working with Seton Health for quite a while was going to the local um, grammar schools. And I would bring in Mr. Bones, you know, the big skeleton. And I would tell all the kids, I would ask them, they like second graders, third graders. And I'd say, okay, who here? Did you, anybody ever have back pain during the day? And they'd all raise their hand because we're sticking these poor kids in these little tiny desks that are half the time too small for them. And they're telling them to sit still all day. I mean, of course they're hurting, right? Because movement, we need movement. Motion is lotion. So, so hopefully you're all going to be able to move a little bit today when we get to that. And, and this is, this is a statement that I sort of created because I realized this is a really important thing for people to know. Understanding authentic human function leads to better training choices with improved results. And, and a lot of the times we don't understand what's authentic and what's inauthentic, what's functional and what's non-functional. So we're going to, I'm going to keep kind of drilling that in every fourth Tuesday of the month and, and hopefully everybody will get it. And of course, because 
you know, we do live in the land of litigation. I don't want anybody to be upset if they do something they know they're not supposed to do. I'm not diagnosing anybody. I'm not treating anybody. I don't want anybody to disregard what they've been told by a professional, right? So that said, an important question to ask when you experience pain, and, and a lot of people have heard me say the most important question to ask, and usually I'm talking about if they're, they're advised to start a, a medication or have a procedure or whatever, but this is something that has to do with pain specifically, but you could also relate this to other issues. When you experience pain, will this relieve the symptoms or resolve the cause? And, and that's a very different thought process, right? Because when we're in pain, we just want the pain to stop. We don't, we're, we're willing to do pretty much anything because we want the pain to stop. Pain is really irritating, really debilitating, just destroys quality of life. And so people are thinking, well, what's the difference? If I want the symptoms gone, then, but so often what, what we're doing to relieve the symptoms, we're not addressing the cause of the pain. So it's a temporary relief at best or a minimal relief at best. It kind of takes the edge off or it snowballs into some other problem because we didn't resolve the whole point of why we had pain in the first place. So I think we really want to focus on resolution and not relief, right? So that said, this is, I got a, just a few slides here on, on some facts about the back. And this one is very uh, not well known by most people, but seven out of 10 people who have a diagnosis, if you want to call it that, for lower back pain, they have no idea why they have the pain. It's completely unknown medically, right? Healthcare wise. Now, yeah, 27%, they, they, have, they, they figure there's a reason. Now, there's a lot more to it than that because a lot of the times people have a herniated disc and that's not what's causing the pain. A lot of times people have scoliosis and that's not what's causing the pain, the same with degenerative disc disease, but at least that 27%, they have some kind of a label they can give them. And then you got your 3% where it can be very serious and, and life-threatening, right? But look, 70% unknown cause. So that says we have a lot to learn. And when we're trying to address symptoms, but not looking for cause because we haven't got a clue, we're really doing a disservice to the patient population, right? So the, the spine, you've got 33 vertebrae in total, but 24 of them move. The ones that don't move are your sacrum. That's fused, you know, after you're born. And, and so, um, but if they're movable, it means they're supposed to move, right? And there are discs in between them. And that's what helps to give us this nice cushioning, shock absorbing. So if we're jumping up and down, we're not gonna break anything. Now you've got seven in the neck, 12 in the trunk and five in the low back. And I'm gonna focus on the low back today. Not gonna to do a lot of anatomy teaching, but I wanna show just a few things because I really wanna to get to the movement piece of this so people can get moving. Um, so you can see the spine has curves, right? And it has to curve because if it doesn't curve, it's, going to, it's not gonna be able to absorb any kind of shock and it's not gonna be very flexible and it's not gonna be very strong. And I always tell people, think of those antique chairs with those spindly little legs that doesn't look like it could hold the weight of an adult, but it does because the legs are curved. So it makes it stronger. So we need those curves, but we need the curves to be healthy. We want that lumbar curve to be a nice, healthy lordosis, not a big honk and sway back or flattened. 
And a lot of the times it gets flattened from people who are sitting for decades, especially people who sit for a living, like bus drivers, cab drivers, you know, people who drive 18 wheelers, right? They're, they're, and, and what happens with them is that lumbar spine flattens, they tend to lose the, the their glutes, max, gluteus maximus, right? Max, which is where the power is, gets flat. I mean, there's, there's, it's atrophied. It loses size. It loses strength. And when you lose that, you've lost your power source. Now you're, you've really got a snowball of problems, right? So what those people would need to do, and again, I'm not diagnosing or advising anyone, but typically if somebody's kind of flattened their low back and they have no glutes, what would be the answer? Not necessarily surgery or, or injections or medications, Let's restore the strength of the glutes and work to restore the, the curve in the low back. That's going to address the cause, right? We're going to resolve the problem, not just relieve the symptoms. And then, so you've got five vertebrae in, in your lumbar spine, and they're very large. They're, they're, they're kind of like a kidney shape. And you can see here, and if I go back here, you can see these vertebrae are smaller, and then they get a little bit bigger as we go down the spine. They get bigger, 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 and these are really big. And it's because it's the weight bearing portion of the spine, right? It's down at the bottom, but it also affects how they connect to each other, how they relate to each other. They're all at a different angle. Your cervical spine is at about a 45 degree angle, thoracic is about 60, and the lumbar is like a 90 degree angle. And so because of how those ver vertebrae are stacked on each other, it changes the amount of movement that they do or the type of movement that they do. And so the lumbar spine is really designed to bend forward and backward. It can do a little bit of side motion and a little bit of rotation, but for the most part, its strength is bending forward to touch your toes or bending backward to reach up and paint the ceiling. And then you've got this lumbosacral junction, which is in between the lumbar spine and the sacrum. And we really want a lot of motion there because the sacrum is fused, right? Nothing's moving down here. Yes, your hips move, uh, but that's your hip joint over here. So we really want a lot of mobility here at the what's called the lumbosacral junction or L5-S1. And a lot of people end up getting fusions at L5-S1 or L4-L5, mainly because they're unstable. And so the surgery's um, intention is to stabilize the joint there. But unfortunately, because it wasn't, the stability wasn't provided the way the body's designed to have it through the muscle function and proper authentic movement. Now what's above or below wherever it's fused becomes more unstable. And so now those people have to be careful when they do exercise that they're not um, expecting those unstable segments to, to do some work that they're not capable of doing. So, so if anybody here has any kind of a fusion, you, you sort of know what you should do and what you shouldn't do, right? All right. So I'm just going to cover one of these, what causes back pain, what you eat. Uh, and then we're, we're going to get into some other things because this is important. We really need to be feeding our back properly. And we can feed it with food. We can also feed it with movement from above and below. And I'm going to explain that when I'm done with the food portion of this. So, um, you know, fat consumption does impair circulation in the body, which is one of the reasons, you know, the, the people in the whole food plant-based diet world promote no oils and low fat, uh, not only just because of excess weight, but because of the harm it does to the circulation. 
And, you know, a lot of people have a, a, a death grip on their heart after eating a Thanksgiving meal. And it, it's not one that you would eat at Dr. John McDougall's house, right? It, it, it's those ones that are going to stop things. And then this is a little visual of what happens when you take a blood sample from someone who's just eaten a real high fat meal. It's really not what you want in your bloodstream. It's not, it's going to impair circulation because the bloodstream is responsible for bringing everything around right down to the cellular level. And obviously it's going to be impaired when it looks like this, right? So we have lumbar arteries, and some of you may have heard me talk about this before. It always is good to, to repeat something, right? Repetition is the way we learn. And so the lumbar arteries are what feed the lumbar spine. It's what feeds the discs, what feeds the vertebrae, what feeds all the muscles around that area of the body. And so obviously we want really good circulation. And there's three main branches of that. You've got your posterior body wall, the vertebral body and nerve root, and the posterior peritoneum. And they each feed a different area of the body. And this was all, um, this is anatomically correct. I mean, if you looked at an anatomy and physiology book, uh, you would know this. This is what it feeds. But what I'm, when I'm talking about impaired circulation, I'm actually talking about Dr. Lena Kopilla's work who's from Finland, and she's been studying this for decades, and she's very well published in research studies. And so uh, what she's determined based on her research studies is the symptoms that are reported and, and the impairment found in that particular uh, part of the artery. So if someone is not getting enough blood supply to the paraspinal muscles, then those are the people that, you know, when they exercise, they get this pain. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, muscle soreness the day after exercise or pain during the repetitions because you're doing something your body doesn't want to do. I'm talking about these people. These are the people who, no matter what they do exercise wise, you know, they just had pain. And this is more than likely, and again, I'm not diagnosing anyone, but based on her research, she sees a correlation between pain related to exercise and decrease blood supply to the paraspinal muscles. And then also there's a failure to remove waste products because the blood supply is bringing things and taking things away and an accumulation of lactic acid, which anyone who's ever worked out knows that that's that burning you get, right? And then muscle atrophy, literal wasting, shrinking, strength loss in muscles. They need blood supply, right? So if it's impaired, it's going to affect them. And then we've got bone ischemia. And, and this is all determined in the lumbar spine. So those are the people who get dull, constant pain. Now, yes, you could have this for another reason. So I don't want anyone to hear this and go, oh my gosh, I've got bone ischemia. But, but just be aware if you've tried everything and no matter what you've done, um, nothing seems to work then, and you're not consuming a low fat whole food plant-based diet, it might be time to start right? But I'm assuming you are if you're watching this show. So this is what was seen in Dr. Kopilla's work. If the bone was getting impaired blood supply, dull constant pain was reported, an inactivity or a stasis of the bone itself, some edema, bone sclerosis, and end plate sclerosis, and disc degeneration. So how many people think, oh, as I age, I'm losing height, my discs are degenerating, 
It's and everybody's been misinformed that it's gravity, it's old age, it's it's compression. That's not true. Those discs are designed to be very healthy and and perform the way they're designed to perform right up until you go below ground. The reason they're degenerating is decreased blood supply. And then nerve root ischemia, sciatica, radicular pain. Now, yes, this can also happen if you've got pressure on a nerve root from a disc, right? It can happen if you've got piriformis syndrome and the piriformis muscle, which is a really deep rotator muscle way deep in the butt. It, it about 87% of the population, it comes, it's over or, or the sciatic nerve is underneath it or comes through it. And so if the piriformis is spasming, it puts this abnormal pressure on that sciatic nerve and you will get sciatic pain. So there's different reasons, but what if it's this, what if it's, it's time to change your diet, this, right? It's very important. People need to know this because nobody wants to live their life in pain, especially if they have control over impacting the cause in a positive way. And then we've got the last one here to report, the posterior peritoneum, if it doesn't get enough blood supply, you can get pain on the sides of your low back, lateral back pain, and then pain related to the psoas, which is the hip flexor in the front, and the quadratum lumborum. And I'm gonna show you a picture of those right now in case you're wondering where they are. So here's your quadratus lumborum. So you can see it comes between from the lower rib down to the, the backside edge of the hip bone, the ilium. And then you've got your psoas here, which goes from T12 down to L4. So if you've got pain here, and no matter what you do, you can't stretch it out, you can't heat it, you can't ice it, you can't release it, you can't massage it away, you can't inject it away. Maybe it's a blood supply issue and it's time to really start doing the right things with what you're putting in your mouth, right? So that said, there are other things that can cause problems. And a lot of people want to know about arthritis. Well, it's an itis, it's an inflammation. And the Stanford University School of Medicine did a study to determine the cause of joint damage. And it's not because you're getting older. It's not wear and tear. It's not because you stood for 20 years at your job, because most of those people who did that, it's only the right knee or the right hip or the left knee or the left hip that gets replaced. The other side appears fine and they weren't walking around on one leg. So it's not compression. It's not old age. What they determined is it's really chronic inflammation. And when we look at half the population in this country gets degenerative joint disease, right? Or osteoarthritis, whatever label you want to give it. And then OA is the leading cause of chronic disability, at least currently until something else comes up and takes its place. But it's been that for quite some time now. Isn't it important to know? And so, okay, if it's chronic inflammation, what can I do about that? How can I address the cause of the chronic inflammation? Well, the primary cause of chronic inflammation is diet. Again, it's what we're putting in our mouth, a high intake of animal foods. They contain very high amounts of arachidonic acid, which promotes inflammation in the body. It promotes inflammatory cytokine activity. And then fats and oils, we already talked about that, impairs circulation to your entire body, right? and then excess weight because those fat cells that you're carrying around are little factories producing more inflammatory cytokines. 
So what we eat, oh, it's huge. A whole food plant-based diet addresses all of these issues. So now I'm going to get off the food and go on to what would be considered some conventional treatment for back pain. And I'm not going to go into a lot of detail here because I want to get to the movement and I've only got an hour and, and I'll do more in, in part two. But you've got your conventional treatment, right? You're taking um, you're taking NSAIDs, right? Non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. You're actually getting corticosteroid injections, maybe an arthroscopic surgery or a full-blown surgery. And then there's conventional physical therapy. And I say conventional because there, there's, there's sort of two modes of understanding in my profession. And it really comes down to the information that people have been exposed to and what they've been taught. No one can teach what they don't know. I mean, Dr. McDougall, he teaches what he knows. Your typical doctor doesn't know half what he knows when it comes to nutrition and what happens in the body, right? So you have to consider that. And, and a lot of what's considered the conventional physical therapy, they use a lot of modalities. They use a lot of hot packs and cold packs and ultrasound and e-stim, tons of modalities. Now, I'm not saying that those never have a place. But if the reason somebody's low back pain is because they've been sitting on max for 20 years and they've got to get max back to work and they have to learn how to move their body to restore authentic human movement, all the modalities in the world aren't going to do that. It's just a stopgap. It's a, you're, you're, re, you're attempting to relieve the pain, but you're not resolving the cause. Again, it's relief versus resolution. Now, yes, PTs are very heavily uh, trained in teaching exercise. However, you may find this very surprising. The exercise that a PT teaches is based on what they learned. And there are many different schools of training when it comes to exercise. And, and I'll tell you right now that the majority of the time, they're not understanding three-plane human function, how everything's connected to everything else. And, and I'm sure pretty much everyone here, go ahead and, and put it in the chat and, and tell AJ, I bet many of you have worked with a PT who said, oh, I can't work on your neck because you're here for your back. Or, oh, I can't work on your back because you're here for your shoulder. Or I can't work on your knee because you're here for your hip. So they're not getting that connection. Now, there are some insurance issues. If somebody has workers' compensation or Medicare, and the note is, is read and it says that they did work on your back and you're there for your neck, they'll refuse to pay for the treatment. So, so there are some reasons that they'll say they can't do it, but for the most part, what's happening if it's just your regular insurance or especially private pay, they're thinking they're not allowed to do it unless it's on the, the script, but it's not true. PTs in the Practice Act have the right to treat what is appropriate to resolve the reason the patient's there. So, um, and then, you know, massage, PTs aren't really who you want to go to for massage. Some are very well-trained in myofascial release and maybe craniosacral. I know I've got training in that. And then you may get some PTs who are trained in some manipulation. Um, you know, there's, there's several different um, schools that teach manipulation. A lot of PTs have learned that. But again, that isn't going to address if somebody has a weak power source and they're not moving external anything isn't gonna restore what needs to be done internally, which is something only you can do, right? Okay, World Health Organization. At present, low back pain is treated mainly with pain meds, analgesics, 
And the causes of lower back pain are rarely addressed. This is right off their website. The causes of lower back pain are rarely addressed. So again, we're treating the symptom. We're not going after the cause. And just a couple of quick things. This is off NIH website. Epidural steroid injections are commonly used for treating low back pain and sciatica. And it's if it's associated with inflammation, pain relief tends to be temporary. These are their words, not mine. And the injections are not advised for long-term use. And they had a randomized controlled trial assessing its benefit for chronic low back pain associated with spinal stenosis. And this showed long-term outcomes were actually worse among those people who got the injections compared with those who didn't. So, hmm, seems like you might want to know that before you say yes to something, right? And then surgery versus no surgery. This is in the Journal of the American uh, Medical Association. Patients with pain from herniated discs, 13 spine clinics, 11 states. So this was a really well done, large study. Those who didn't have surgery had physical therapy. They had some cognitive behavioral therapy counseling, which is about changing your mindset and your thought processes. And some took some anti-inflammatory drugs, which you kind of know they don't really, they kind of maybe take the edge off, but they don't really fix anything. And 40% of those who were assigned to have the surgery didn't have it because they got better while they were waiting. That's four out of 10. And then after three to six months, both groups reported improvement. After two years, both groups were, were major improvement. So those who didn't have the surgery weren't any worse off because they didn't have the surgery. So I think we really need to be rethinking things. If you're seeing an expert or a specialist, they're gonna recommend what they do. It's not that they're doing anything wrong and they might be completely ignorant of the fact that there's, there's a whole training out there that can address what you need without the need for surgery. They may not even be aware of it. So again, people can't recommend what they don't know, right? And so, you know, can it be prevented by exercise? Yeah, here. They took those who were recommended for lumbar surgery or neck, right, cervical surgery. They, they couldn't have any medical condition that prevented exercise and they had to be willing to participate in exercise for 10 weeks in an outpatient program. And it was very consistent exercise, intensive, progressive, which means it gets a little bit harder. And they did exercise the lumbar or the cervical spine. It was continued to failure, which means they had to work hard. They were encouraged to work through their pain if they were experiencing pain. Now, I'm not saying you should exercise and it should hurt, okay? I wasn't any of the therapists involved in this study. I think I might've found a way where it really wasn't hurting them, but the goal was that they're not supposed to to stop the exercise, right? Um, and then the average follow-up incurred about 16 months after they were discharged. Now, they started with 60 participants, 46 of them completed the program, 38 out of that 46 were available for follow-up 16 months later, and only three of them needed surgery out of 38. So that means 35 people were saved from surgery because of exercise. So that's pretty good, right? And, and we've only got two more slides on this kind of stuff. So here's one. There's no difference in outcomes for those who have spinal fusion surgery versus those who undergo intense rehabilitation. And this is based on this one study, or these two studies, actually. Um, there, and there are complications, obviously, from spinal fusion, none from rehab. So 
I'm not telling anyone not to get a fusion. And if you've already had a fusion, it's, you know, the, 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 the horse is already out of the barn before you shut the door. But the goal here is to learn what to do about it from here, right? And if there are other things that you can do, no matter your circumstance, don't you want to know about them? And then this is the last slide on this topic. One fifth to one fourth of people who have absolutely no back pain, no symptoms, will show a herniated disc upon imaging. And six out of 10 adults with absolutely no back pain, no symptoms, will show degenerative changes in their spine. So what's the point of me sharing that? The point is, when someone experiences pain and they go for help and they, they uh, prescribe a test, an image, and they see something show up, the assumption is what they see that shows up is the reason for the pain. So now what they're gonna do is they're gonna address what they see on the image, but nobody's thinking about what if this isn't it? If a whole bunch of people have this show up on an image and they have no symptoms, then who's to say, because you have symptoms, this is what's causing it. Maybe it's because you've been sitting on Max for 20 years, right? And so what do we wanna do? What's the goal? Do we want relief of pain or do we want resolution of the cause of the pain? And I'm assuming you're all choosing resolution, right? Because there's no pain when you resolve it. And because you've gotten a hold of the cause and addressed it, it doesn't come back or it doesn't snowball into something else, right? So I am hosting a free event that starts the 27th of this month. I'm gonna host a strong back masterclass. It's absolutely free. And, uh, oh, I, I I'm apologize. I had, I thought, oops, I thought I had changed this link. This is not the correct link. I had given AJ the link and I thought I changed this. I must have not hit save when I did this. Um, but the actual link is mwpchallenge.com. This link is not going to bring you to the Strong Back Masterclass. So um, we'll make sure that the right link is in there for you all. So that said, I would like to go down to the gym now and uh, show you all some movements and then I'll be happy to answer any questions that you might have. And I'm sure they're typing them in, right, AJ? Perfect. There's a couple that were typed in and a couple that were sent in in advance. And I'll entertain the troops while you're gone and tell them All what's right. coming up this week Perfect. while you go down to the gym. Fabulous presentation as usual. I know everyone enjoyed it. So guys, while she's going to the gym, let me tell you who is on the show the rest of the week at 2 p.m. We have Lee Shishak with a brand new cookbook, and she's going to be making some fabulous recipes. That would be today. And tomorrow is Kathy Hester doing stuff, stuff, recipes for St. Patrick's Day. And Thursday is Dr. Jessica Cramp. We cannot take questions from the chat for her or Dr. Lyle or Dr. McDougall. I got to tell you, we have questions going all the way back to October. And then we have on Friday, hmm, I don't know. Oh, Dr. Nikki Davis. She's fabulous. And Saturday is Dr. Colin Zhu. He's going to be talking about mindfulness. And Sunday, Chef Dell is going to be doing Cole Cannon and Irish soda bread. So if you get on my email list at chefaj.com, we send an email out every Saturday morning. And that enables you to reply to us with your questions, which is very important when the guests are medical doctors. 
Look, I'm disappearing. That's because okay, she's back. Let's see, make sure you have to take your sound off. Yeah, uh, unmute. Sorry, I put yeah. my mic on, but I forgot to unmute. Right, perfect. <laughs> so you got to say hello to, to Dell for me. I haven't seen him in a while. I'd love to get a big hug from him, but I haven't he, seen him in a while. He just so. had a birthday. His birthday was February 24th. Him and Dr. Nikki Davis share a birthday. So it was just Friday. Oh, I missed it. I'm going to have to send him a belated happy birthday. Yes. So, all right, everybody. So what I want you to do is I want you to learn how to move your body in what's called three planes of motion. And when we move our bodies, we don't just move one way. And a lot of people think that, well, when I walk, I'm only walking forward. So my legs are only going forward and back. But what's happening anatomically is the muscles are also moving side to side and they're rotating. And all of the joints of the body and all of the big bones of the body are doing movements as well. So for instance, I'll, I'll explain it this way. When I go to take a step forward, when I do that, yes, my leg is going forward and this one's going to go back as I, as I step. But as soon as I pick this foot up off the ground, I'm getting a sideways motion of my hips. Because if these muscles don't load in front, what's called frontal plane, uh, that hip is going to drop as soon as I pick that foot up. And many of you know people who do this, right? They kind of have that Trendelenburg gait. And it's because they don't have that sideways um, ability to stabilize their pelvis in frontal plane. So that's going on when I do this. Things are shifting sideways. It's small, but it's happening. And with some people, it's a little more, you know, guys who kind of walk really, really manly, like, you know, they kind of do more of a sideways. And so, but, and you'll see some people who do more rotation and some people who kind of stay forward and you'll see the, you know, the, if you're, if you're, if you're in a tall building in New York City and you're looking down on a Veterans Day parade, you're going to see heads going sideways because those people can't really rotate or do anything. And this is how they get forward, right? They kind of go sideways. So we want all three planes. And when I do this, my, my pelvis is rotating. My legs are rotating. As soon as this leg comes forward, this leg is rotating internally. It, it, it's part of the response to the movement and my pelvis is rotating and my trunk is rotating in the opposite direction and all kinds of rotation is happening. So we move in three planes of motion. However, most people have learned when they work out to only move in one plane of motion or to only make sure everything is perfect. Now, yes, if you're going to be, if you're going to be moving heavy weights, really strenuous weightlifting, you do want to make sure you have really good positioning so you don't injure yourself. But for the most part, I'm guessing most of you on here are not looking to do a 400 pound bench press, right? So if the goal is to stay mobile and strong, but functional, and you're not looking to do, you know, muscle building and bodybuilding and, and being the strongest man on the planet kind of thing. You want to be training in three planes of motion, and you can do that with weights as well. I'm not going to show any weights today. When I go into part two, I might show a little bit of that when we do that next month when I do more on the back, but I want to get you all started. So what I want to show you is something. Now, there are people who, when they have so much pain, as, as AJ very aptly said in the beginning of this, people don't move when they have pain, right? Because it hurts. But when you stop moving, you're, you're, you're literally causing things to stiffen. 
you're you're getting dehydrated because movement hydrates it creates this pumping mechanism this fluid fill effect into the fascia into the muscles the motion really is lotion and you may not realize this unless you're in my profession but if someone is in a coma or immobilized in a hospital bed with all kinds of tubes and whatever coming out of them if someone doesn't do joint range of motion after about 72 hours those joints start to break down because of lack of nutrition because the the fluid that's in the joint capsule is what provides the nutrition to the surfaces of the joint and if if it doesn't if the joint doesn't move it doesn't pump new fresh fluid in there so so movement is absolutely required for healthy life and so if you're in the position where you just can't move you've got to start somewhere right and again you know what you can do i i don't know what anybody's position is out there but i'm going to start you off very small we're going to do something called a matrix and a matrix is basically using three planes of motion and so we're going to do what's called a hip matrix and this is a great warm-up even if you're going to do exercise or go for a walk or a run this is a great warm-up for your body and because you're going to stand and you can do this really in any foot position uh, we're going to progress this this is kind of the baby step and so just have your feet side by side and if you rest your hands on your hips and you just go forward and back now if going forward creates pain but going back feels good then you're just going to go back because what happens is is you're loading the body on the back side and as you come out of going back you're starting to load the front and you're going to eventually get it where the front of the body is okay with doing a little more lengthening it's sort of like inchworming your way into getting a motion that your body may not want initially but becomes okay with after a little bit of time. So, and then it would be the same vice versa. Maybe you feel good going this way, but you don't like going this way, right? So then you would just do this motion. But if mo both motions are okay, just go ahead and go forward and back. Now you're not trying to get the biggest motion you can get. This is just to warm things up. Now, because you're standing on your feet, you're actually getting some dorsiflexion and plantar flexion in the feet. And your hips, of course, are extending and flexing. Your lumbar spine is getting mobilized from the ground up. Now, if I was to do my upper body moving, that would be mobilizing my lumbar spine from the top down. So if you've got a really stiff lumbar spine, this is a great way to start mobilizing it because you're not asking it to do anything. You're asking the hips below or the trunk above to start moving and then the lumbar spine just sort of it starts to be encouraged to do movement without being asked to do it all so it's a great way to just warm things up so i said three planes so that forward and back is one plane of motion and then we're going to do side to side now the side to side is really kind of like pretend you've got parallel bars on either side of your hips and you just want to tap them and they're kind of close. You're not trying to do way over here and you're not trying to get way down here with a side bend. We're just doing just some gentle motion. And this is the same thing with the other forward and back. If going in one direction causes pain, don't do that direction. The body is amazing. If you do a direction it enjoys, it helps to restore other motions that it's struggling with initially. So it really is a great way a great strategy to restore motion so we're just going to go side to side and then of course we have to add some rotation so rotation again is just nice and gentle 
And it kind of helps if, you're, if your eyes sort of go with your body because your body likes to follow where your eyes go. But again, this is all about if I, okay, if I don't like rotating right, then I'm just going to rotate left. And eventually, and I cannot tell you how many patients I've had tell me this in the gym setting when they would come in for their second or third or whatever session. And they, I would say, okay, how are you doing now with left rotation? And they'd go, oh, I can do the whole thing now. See, you know, but they were only doing right initially. And of course we had them doing other things as well. But if you're only doing what feels good, eventually the things that don't feel good start to feel better because you're not trying to force anything. And I will tell you when it comes to rehabbing or addressing chronic pain, forcing yourself to do something that hurts because you think it's going to stop hurting eventually and it's going to get better rarely works. Usually what happens is the brain thinks that you're, you don't, you don't understand what you're doing to yourself. So the brain tries to figure out a way to cheat and work around the movement to try to get it to stop hurting. So if a certain muscle doesn't like going this way, what the brain's going to do, if you keep doing this, the brain is going to go, okay, let's try rotating. Let's try bending forward. Let's try maybe if we bend backward. The brain is going to try to cheat as much as it can to keep that pain from happening. And you're not even aware it's happening because the brain keeps it a secret and doesn't tell you. So now you're, you're building or developing these compensatory mechanisms and you're training in dysfunction, not function. So pain is not your friend when it comes to rehabilitating, when it comes to restoring authentic movement. You don't want pain, okay? Now it's different if you had a joint replacement and you got to start walking. That's going to hurt like the dickens. Some things are going to hurt. It's, you know, depends on your situation. But for the most part, if you've got chronic pain, if you're trying to get movement back, you know, a little discomfort is, is one thing. You know, pain is another and when I say a little discomfort, sometimes people say, well, I'm so used to pain. I don't know where the cutoff is. I don't know. Maybe somebody else that would be pain. But to me, it's not because I'm so used to it. If you are a person, it's very subjective, but it's the same for you. So what it means is that pain scale of zero to 10, zero is no pain at all. And 10 is the kind you're going to lay on the floor screaming, begging to go to the hospital. And I'm talking about what would be a 10 to you not what you think it would be to someone else. When you're exercising, if you're feeling a little discomfort and it's like a one or a two and it doesn't increase as you're doing the repetitions, then more than likely it's okay. And you may notice that that one or a two doesn't happen the next time you do the exercises, right? So hopefully that helps some of you who are kind of stuck in that, you know, I've had pain for so long. I don't, you know, I don't know if I'm accurate in my assessment of the pain. So whatever number you give it in your head, <clears throat> excuse me, give it in your head, that's accurate for you. All right. So that was the hit matrix, the, the three planes. Let's take it a step further. So maybe you did pretty good with that and you want to do a little more. Now, what we're going to do, remember what I said, when you're doing this, you're kind of mobilizing the lumbar spine from the bottom up. Now let's do, let's add some from the top down and kind of do both. So what we're going to do is what I call a, a square stance matrix. And what that means by square is your feet are side by side. We are going to do something in stride in a minute. And so when your feet are side by side and pretend, you know, if you've got a chair here or something that's about knee height, right? So just kind of pretend you're going to tap the chair 
with your hands. Now you can see, I kind of went down into a little mini squat, right? So I did this. Well, this is loading the back of my body. It's loading max, that power source, right? And so when I do this, I'm getting a nice load in the back of my body. And then when I come up, I'm going to reach my arms up and I'm going to bend backward. And I'm going to now load the front of my body. So I'm mobilizing that lumbar spine from below and from above because I'm using arm drivers. So what you can do just that nice little reach and this, and it's the same as when we did the hip matrix. If any, either one of those motions created pain, you're not going to do that motion. You're going to do the motion that feels good or feels okay. And if going this low is too low for you, then just go waist tight or even go chest tight, just the tiniest little motion. Because if you can get that repetition, maybe, maybe your motion is just this small and that's okay. Because if you can do that without pain and you can do it repetitively, your body is going to build on that success. Your brain isn't trying to cheat because you're not hurting yourself and your brain says, it's okay, body, we can do this. And over time, sometimes it's only a couple of days, it's really quick, you can do a lot more but you've got to start where you're successful. And then the, the last one, we've, we've got it. We've, oops, sorry, that's the forward and back. Now we're going to do sideways. So for sideways, typically the arms would be up. Now, if you have, you know, sometimes when I put my arm up, that gets uh, muffled. So when your arms are up, you can, um, if you've got shoulder issues, just do this, right? If you can't raise your arms up, don't, don't hurt yourself that way. But ideally your arms would be up. And this is the same as with the hip matrix. Your hips are going to go side to side. But because your arms are up now, you can see I'm sort of doing a counterbalance, right? So when my hips go one way, my arms go the other. And it's that counterbalance. So now the trunk is being mobilized above the low back and the hips are being mobilized below the low back. It's a beautiful way to get things going. And you're only going to do what doesn't hurt. Okay. Last is rotation. Arms will be out in front of you, kind of like that old black and white Frankenstein movie that I loved as a kid. And you're going to rotate as far as you can one way and as far as you can another. But start slow. Maybe you kind of want to test the waters. You're not sure. And maybe when you do this, it's like, oh, that hurts. Then don't do that. Just go this way and just kind of gradually increase your motion. Because what you're doing, I, I won't even go into the details of what you're doing, but eventually it's going to change something so that you will be able to do this and you won't feel that pain or that abnormal pull. Unless you've got some real serious structural issue going on stopping that motion, the majority of people, it gets restored. So the goal is I'm getting that nice mobilization of my trunk above my low back. And because my hips are rotating, I'm getting them mobilizing it from below. Now, all of that that we just did in what I call square stance, you can also do in stride. And stride is a lot of fun. Now, stride, if you put one foot forward, uh, you do want it to be enough forward. If it's just like a half a foot length, it, it makes it very awkward and you can't really do the motions. So you do need to be at least a foot length ahead, depending on the width of your feet, how stable you are. You know, if you've got your one foot right in front of the other and you're, you're on a, you're on a tightrope, right? You might need a pole to, to keep your balance. So put some weight, some width between your feet enough. So you feel stable. 
And now we can do all those same motions. If you don't want to do the arms, you can just do the pelvis. You can do the forward and back. Because of the difference in the foot position, it changes what's happening below the lumbar spine. The same with the side to side and the same with the rotation. If you want to add the arms, so you're mobilizing from above and below, you're going to do the same things you just did with your feet side by side. So you're going to do your little reach and you're up and back, right? And the goal here, again, is to get everything moving above and everything moving below, but never doing a movement that hurts. Same thing with the arms up. You're gonna go side to side like you're tapping the parallel bars, just like you did the other couple of ways. But now you're in that stride position and the hips are feeling it very differently, which means they're mobilizing the low back differently. And the same thing with rotation. But you don't wanna do any movement that causes pain. You wanna build on your success. And if you feel unstable and wobbly, back up and make yourself stable. Because again, if you feel unstable and wobbly, your brain is going to cheat and it's not going to tell you it's cheating. All right. So that's a great way to kind of go at the back and feed it from above and below. We already talked about feeding it properly with food. And hopefully your lumbar spine is going to love you for this. And there's more, which I'll do a part two, the fourth Tuesday of March. Nice. Thank you, Eileen. You are uh, welcome. Uh, people are saying that we need the link to your boot camp, but it's really better if you email it to me so I can cut and paste it correctly rather than okay. showing it on a slide. I will do that. Verbally saying yes, I'm, I really thought I updated that slide today. I was working on it today. I don't know what happened. I must have not hit save the last time. Right. But we so. can't click from a slide. So send it to me right. if you can, even in advance of the show, right. but I can always put it in. No worries about that. Okay. So let's get to the questions. We'll first go to the ones that were sent in in advance. And if there's time, we'll take them from the chat. This is from Jackie, and she would like to ask you what you think of trigger point injections for myofascial pain in the back, shoulders, and neck, along with physical therapy. She's been trying the therapies, but not noticing a difference in pain. And the doctor said it will take three or four sessions to notice any difference. She does stretching and yoga, but after work, she always feels the tension. So there's, there's a few things. Again, I'm not advising or diagnosing. Um, a lot of people aren't aware that President Kennedy almost didn't run for, for presidency because he had such serious back pain. And Dr. Janet Travell was his physician who became his physician, I think, after he was in the White House. Um, but anyhow, he had serious issues. And that's when the first time for anybody of any renown, and it started to get well known, of injecting trigger points. So it can be very, very effective if the person knows what they're doing. Trigger points can be quite debilitating. It's an area in a muscle. It's like an ischemic spot. So think about like, depending on the size of it, maybe the size of a half a dime. And if you push on it, it creates pain. Usually you'll get a referred pain pattern. Um, uh, sometimes it depends if it's, there's, there's different types of trigger points. There's primary, there's secondary, there's, there's, there's a lot to it. And I won't take all the time to go into all that, but it can be very beneficial. Um, the idea is why does the muscle have the trigger points? And that's where the three plane training, and I'm not promising you know, that it's like Ginzu knives and it does it all, but if you're training your body 
authentically in three planes, the muscles tend to get happier. They just, they start to load and unload, they get longer. So if a muscle has to load, I got my monkey here. Um, if a muscle has to load, it, it gets longer under tension. And the longer it gets, the more power or tensional energy gets built in that muscle. So that when it unloads, it, it I, I like my monkey here. When it unloads, it makes it it, it produces power and it, it enables you to do things. Like when you go to get out of a chair, right? You you kind of lean forward a little bit so that you kind of load and then you push through your feet to unload, right? So when you're training the muscles properly, the trigger points, all those things that are that are telling you the muscles aren't happy, tend to start to resolve themselves. Things just improve. So um, I'm certainly not saying don't get the treatment. I, I, I am aware that it can be very effective if the person is really skilled, but you want to be training your body, as I said earlier, and, and it sounds like you're in PT, but I don't know what they're doing with you in PT. And I'm certainly not going to disparage a therapist and say they must not know what they're doing because I that would be completely unprofessional and irresponsible of me because they might be really good at what they're doing and doing everything they can for you. So so, it, but what I've learned over the years of doing this, and it's 30 years this fall, is you can't get fixed by other people. Sometimes it's an adjunct, but we need to be doing what we need to be doing to restore authentic function. And nobody can do that for us. We have to do it, but we have to know how to train in order to do that. So hopefully that answer helped. Great. Thank you. And guys, when, when you're watching live, if you are putting questions in the chat, please know that it really helps me see them if you put four question marks. And also if you wait till after the PowerPoint, same thing when it's Dr. McDougal, for example, because I see a different chat to you because I'm multi-streaming to about seven or eight places. So my chat disappears. And so when you post them early, they're already gone. So I can only see what I see. And thank you for understanding. And here is a, I saw some questions, but they go so fast. Okay, we'll get you guys the correct link as soon as possible. And Stephanie is wondering if it's safe to do the exercises you demonstrated wearing a weighted vest. Um, well, it would, it would depend on your goals. I mean, why would the weighted vest be there? When you're standing and you're wearing a weighted vest, it's going to increase compression into the lumbar spine. If that's something you're desiring to do for a specific reason, and you're and you're you're anatomically and physiologically okay with that, then I wouldn't say it's a bad thing. But you know, I mean, what would be the reason behind wearing it, right? That's what we have to consider. Nice. Thanks. Can, uh, can anything be done to improve walking when you have spinal stenosis and a forward flexion with walking? And you do private with people on Zoom if they want specific help for their conditions, right? Yes, I do do private consulting. Yes. Um, when it comes to stenosis, that's a big term and it can mean anything for, I mean, it could be very different between one person to another. Is the spinal stenosis you know, limited to one level, multi-level? Is it throughout the spine? Where is it? Is it happening in the lumbar? Is it happening in thoracic, right? So so there's, there's a lot of different ways for that. Um, when it comes to walking, oh, and, and the person said that they were kind of forward flexed. So ideally what that person would want to do would be to sort of 
load the front of the body and get the front of the body to be able to get longer. But if the stenosis is really severe, depending on where it is, going into extension can actually increase pain because stenosis means there's smaller openings where the nerve roots are coming out from the spinal segments and, and more pressure can happen. And now it's a very uncomfortable thing. A lot of the times with stenosis, what's recommended is lots of flexion stuff, right? And if this person's already flexed, now we're, we're really feeding into that. So I can't give any specifics for this person not knowing what their situation is, but just speaking generally, ideally, when you walk, if you and, and yeah, okay, thank you, Lord. I'm, I'm getting this, this idea now. So I remember once I had a person who couldn't walk 40 feet without all kinds of pain that would happen. And so what I did was I started training them to lift their rib cage as they walked. And all I did was stand behind this person and do a little manual cue, just kind of lift, right? Just, I mean, I wasn't really lifting them. It was just, it was more an idea than an actual intention. And, and so what I did was I just lifted and we just walked and we must've walked 200, 300 feet in the gym back and forth and all over the place. And then I said, okay, let's sit. Are you, how are you doing? Okay. Yeah, I'm fine. And we sat and I go, well, you just walked about 300 feet and the person didn't even realize it because they were concentrating on what I was telling them. So a lot of the times, if you just think lifting the rib cage, now we're not necessarily going into extension and aggravating the stenosis, which is a potential depending on what's going on in your world. but lifting the rib cage gets a lot of the pressure off the lumbar spine and the hips, even though it's meant to be that weight bearing part of the spine. And it just makes you lighter. And then if you focus a little bit more on rotation, right? So um, sorry, opposite leg arm. So if my right leg comes forward, my left arm rotates and vice versa. So, you know, kind of pretend you're on the the, the catwalk, right? Um, and I'm, I'm fooling around here. Obviously, you wouldn't want to walk down the street like that. But the goal is if you really concentrate on lifting up and making sure your trunk rotates and your arms swing, that can take a lot of stress off the low back when you're walking. Nice. Thanks, Eileen. Okay, here's another one from Sharon. Regarding yoga, are downward dogs safe for your back if you have osteoporosis? So ideally, wherever you're taking yoga, the instructor would be giving modifications for people. Osteoporosis is um, typically if it's and it depends on where you have it. Some people have it in different areas. Osteoporosis is a, is a huge it's it's a whole nother topic that I could I could be here for four shows and, and teach about osteoporosis. But but a lot of it has to do with the fact that, you know, it's it's a risk factor for a fracture. It doesn't necessarily mean you'll have a fracture. But so you have there are certain things that you want to do. And typically, if there's osteoporosis of the spine, a lot of the times what happens when those people bend forward, they're creating a lot of pressure on the front of those vertebrae. I got to learn to bring Betty Bones down here. And when, when you get pressure on the front of those vertebrae, you can get vertebral fractures. So those people are told, you know, don't bend down to tie your shoes because now you're putting all that pressure on the front of the spine. Don't bend down and try to open a window I mean, I've worked with home care patients who broke a rib by opening a window because of the osteoporosis. So if you have that, you want to be aware of those potential risks with movement. When it comes to downward dog, I will very 
honestly and openly and humbly state, I would rather chew off my arm than do yoga. <laughs> I don't like yoga. I, I know that it's great for people. There's lots of studies that show that it's fabulous for people. I'm not against people doing yoga. I've worked with a lot of people who've been injured doing yoga, who've come to the clinic because the instructor didn't provide modifications and wasn't really watching them, or they decided they wanted to do something they knew they shouldn't do because they didn't want to stand out in class and be the only one who didn't do it. And that's not the instructor's fault, right? So, um, and then there's lots of different forms and types of yoga. I'm familiar with a lot about yoga, but it's just, I've tried it. I, it's just, you know, the, the most important exercise you'll do is, is the one you'll do, right? So um, it just doesn't float my boat. I'd rather do other things. So, so that said, I do know what a downward dog is. And I think it would probably depend on how much flexion you're giving and how extensive you're trying to go into the movement. And ideally, the yoga instructor should be able to give you modifications if needed well i'm doing upward dog right now because she wanted to you know what you know what it is because she she can tell time and i usually lunch at 12 and that's when she starts her begging for the her stomach is telling you what time it is but you know what eileen i'm just curious because i love yoga but i don't love all yoga and have you tried them all because you know there's restorative there's yoga nidra there's yin there's uh uh uh, vipassana there's hatha there's hot i mean there's at least 10 types of yoga i've tried have you tried them all to be able to say you now you make a really good point aj i've only tried two which two so, have you tried? Uh, Bikram. Oh, I hate that. That's my least favorite. That would turn okay. everybody off of yoga. Oh, I hate Bikram yoga. It's okay. terrible. And then I the first one I them. tried, I have no idea what it was because I, I was much younger and I went to this gym. It was a public gym and they were playing racquetball in the room next door. And the poor instructor was trying to make it very relaxing. And she had candles and essential oil and music. And, and you could hear this racquetball, bam, 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 throughout the whole class. I, no, I agree. I don't, I don't care for yeah. yoga gyms. I care for them in studios, but, but I do a kind, I do three different kinds, yoga nidra, uh, restorative and yin, and they're very gentle. And we never even do downward dogs in any of those three. You're, st- you're on the mat the whole time. Okay. You're going to have to text me the names of those and I'm going to have to try one. Yeah. So I just, yeah. I just don't want you to throw out the baby with the bathwater, but I agree. I took Bikram yeah. yoga in LA yeah. with Bikram and, and I, yeah. you know, I want to throw up i just i don't really good point yeah you bring up a very good point i haven't tried them all no well thank you uh where did oh um this viewer would like to know what you think about decompression therapy not sure what that is maybe you know uh they're probably talking about decompression of the spine um there there's different there's is that like hanging upside like, down maybe, you know, the hang, like the inversion? Well, no, there is, there is the upside down thing that that's kind of like the, that there's a new protocol for decompression now. And I started reading the research a couple of years ago, and I'm sure it's gotten much more advanced from that. So I can't really speak a lot on it. I'm not up on all the current research, but from what I saw back then, it didn't seem like it was, it was really successful with the majority of people, but that was a couple of years ago when I looked at that research, it, it might've changed. Um, I do know that, you know, when you're upright, your body has to handle gravity and ground reaction force and ground reaction force is the force the earth does against our feet or against our hands and knees, if we're on our hands and knees or whatever. Um, and, and so there's this force that's happening and that force is part of what 
also contributes to mass and momentum. So there's all this physics stuff going on. And so if you're manipulating the compression, when you stop manipulating it, you know, it's kind of like if you're on the inversion table, as soon as you turn back upright, guess what? Gravity puts you right back where you started. So that's that, you know, I, I guess um, my, my logic tells me that we're, we're really better off to try to address the reason those things are happening versus, again, I think that's kind of a, a symptomatic treatment, right? We're treating the compression. We're not treating the reason the compression is there. Now, if you're somebody who's got no disc left, you know, that's a whole different story, right? But decompression isn't going to, and then there's decompression surgery, which is, yeah. So depending on what it is they're talking about, there's a lot to that topic too. Great. Thank you. And here is a question on the knee uh, from Joe. Knee x-ray showed tiny patellar marginal osteophytes have burning pain with kneeling, no symptoms playing pickleball, but want to crawl with my grandkids. Any recommendations? Well, that would be kind of giving specific advice to somebody and I would be irresponsible and, and quite, quite unprofessional. Um, if there's pain weight bearing on the knees and there's some structural abnormality that's leading to that pain, I don't know that there would be something different that could be done. Um, ideally, I would say maybe wear knee pads. I know my one brother who was who his business was carpentry and construction he had to end up with knee pads because putting down floors and put, doing cement floors, you're down on that hard stuff on your knees for hours at a time. So um, I remember working with a patient who her, her faith required her to be on her knees for an extended period of time, like hours. And, uh, and her knees were like, she had swelling and she had all kinds of issues. So, um, you know, if, if there's something structural causing the pain, that's, you know, I, I, I'm not quite sure what I could say to that, especially on, in this setting, it wouldn't really be helpful, I don't think. Great, thank you. Uh, Judith says, when doing the exercises, is there a best way to do the breathing or to be breathing? So breathing, ideally, that's a really good question, by the way, because a lot of people want to know, should they be contracting their stomach? Should they be focusing on this? Should they be focusing on that? Should I breathe in? Should I breathe out? A lot of people teach that when you exert, you should breathe out because that's when you're, you're kind of giving this force, right? Your muscles change based on your breathing. So if you breathe in, your muscles are increasing in tension. When you exhale, your muscles are decreasing in tension. And if you take this pause in between an exhale and an inhale, that's when your muscles are at their most relaxed. So I actually teach that to people who get tense and their pain is, and I teach them these special breathing techniques and, and they love it because it really helps them to get the pain down. You can also do it to improve vagal tone. And, you know, there's all kinds of things about breathing when it comes to exercise. What, what I have, have determined over all these decades is the more complicated you make it, the harder it is for people and they get focused on the wrong thing. It's kind of like, I remember AJ, you talking about somebody who was majoring on the minors. You had somebody in one of your classes who was all concerned about the type of vinegar and the type of this and a type of that, but he was, he was massively obese on all kinds of meds and all kinds of disease processes. And he wasn't majoring on the majors, right? So I think sometimes when it comes to exercise, we get so focused on all these little details, we're, we're missing the whole point of the movement. And when you go to move your body, 
ideally you want your muscles to move subconsciously. In other words, you want them to react to the movement that you initiate. I mean, when I go to take a step and walk, I'm not saying, okay, calcaneal eversion and subtalar joint rotate, drop down and in, and now my tibia has to internally rotate and my, my, my femur has to internally rotate and, oh, all up, you know, my, my gluteus medius now has to elongate to keep my pelvis up. You're not thinking of all those things, right? You're just thinking of the movement that you initiated and your muscles are responding to the movement. And it has to be on a subconscious level. So if you're not that focused on your breathing and some other things, and you're just focused on making sure the movement is fluid and comfortable and isn't hurting, and it's a nice cadence, you're not doing herky-jerky movements and getting micro whiplash and, and you know, and you're not just, I'm going to pump those rep outs and I'm, I'm going to get it over with. I got, oh, there's, there's 10. I can move on to the next thing, right? You want to kind of squeeze out as much as you can from each repetition and, and allow your body to feel the movement. I, I think that's more focus, more, more beneficial than whether you should breathe in or breathe out. Right. Sorry, all my answers are really long, aren't they? <laughs> no, no, they're great. Thank you. All right, let's see. Um, is osteo is Pilates safe for someone with osteoporosis? So hopefully, if you go to a Pilates gym or a Pilates studio, the Pilates instructor is going to know how to, to deal with you so you don't injure yourself. That's key. If you're going to be doing something you've never done before, you want to make sure you're working with somebody who's an expert in what they're doing, especially understands the the restrictions that you may have or the precautions and even contraindications so again as i said with that spine you wouldn't want to be you know using something and pulling down and creating a lot of pressure like this to the front of the spine right so um ideally your instructor would know how to work around that that would be the safest nice thank you this is from, I don't know who, but is a cracking sound in the spine okay when you are lying on your back on the floor? So if you're just lying still, ideally you wouldn't hear noise. I'm assuming they mean when they're doing some kind of movement. Okay. So I'm not quite sure what they're asking. I apologize right. okay, for not being clear. Clarify. And Cecil says, what about people like me that use a walker? What are the best things to do for exercise? I can't walk very far. What about water exercise? Yes, water is perfect because it takes the pressure off the joints, but it's not all that convenient for a lot of people because getting to where there's a pool, depending on where you live and, and what's local and not local and, 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 uh, you know, um, but water is great because of the buoyancy. It takes the stress off the joints. It makes you lighter. It's easier to move um, and exercise. And there are some pools that you can go to where you can even, you know, the it, it'll kind of get you in there, even if you're, if you're really immobile. Um, but I've worked with a lot of people on land who use walkers and, uh, I don't have one, but you gave me a good idea. I should probably get a walker so I can demonstrate stuff. Yeah. But ideally you can, you can, you can rent them. You could borrow one. You can go to, yeah, yeah. I, I, I've given yeah. away once. Um, but what I, what you, what I usually do with people, if they're using a walker is I have them go up to the kitchen sink and they have the walker right up against the kitchen sink. 
and they hold on to the sink to do movements. And a lot of it has to do with shifting weight, um, you know, moving one leg, doing little steps forward side. I'm not going to try to teach you exercise because I don't know what your limitations are and I could hurt you. But but you can do things in a walker. Um, a lot of the times I would have them turn around and have their back to the sink and the walker in front of them and have them kind of lean against the sink a little bit so that they can open up the front of their body safely and they're not going to fall backward, but they can load the front. They can get some ab work done. They can, they can do some things that opens up the hip flexors and stuff. So there's a lot that can be done for people in a walker. I've, I've done it many, many times. Yeah. Great. Thanks. And... Let's see. Angela, who's watching live and has been on the show, says, as a Hi, Angela. <laughs> she says, as a certified hot and prenatal yoga instructor, down dog is not a restorative prose. It puts one spine into forward flexion. If you have wedge fractures, don't go down dog with osteoporosis. Thank you for that. And thank Deb you, says, Angela. Thank yep. you. Thank you for answering that in the chat. And Deb says, how many reps and sets for the exercises you showed us today? Well, again, that depends. It depends on your goal. Um, you know, a nice round number starting off with 10, right? Doing 10 of each. And then you can move into doing 10 of each and doing on, on the stride 10 of each. If you did everything I showed you 10 of each, it's probably maybe a, I don't know, a 10 minute workout. We're sticking with tens here. Um, and you could do the workout twice. You know, it depends on your endurance level, your, your strength level. What's your goal? Are you trying to build strength? Or are you just trying to mobilize yourself? Um, you know, it, it really depends on your goals. Great. Well, this is a very general question from Crystal. I'm having a lot of pain recently in my knees. What can I do to help that? I would always say, see a doctor first, wouldn't you, Eileen? Well, you want to make sure there's no damage or anything going on in there. Um, but I will tell you that the knees are kind of like the low back in that they're fed from the hips above and the ankles below. So if you're someone who has a history of ankle sprains or any type of non-weight bearing where, you know, the foot and ankle would be an impacted, that could be impacting the knees. Uh, Hips again, you know, the quads that come from the hips that crosses two joints, the hamstrings cross two joints. Your hamstrings job is to control the rotation of the knee when you walk. It's also its job is to help extend the knee when you walk. A lot of people think the hamstring only does this, but that's not true. It, it depends on the context, the muscles being used in. So I, I would highly recommend that you would see someone who understands and sees you as a whole body and assesses above and below the knee and doesn't just see you as a couple of knees that walk in the door. That would be ideal. Great. Well, thank you. I think I got to all the questions. And if I didn't, guys, get on my mailing list, send one in, and she'll be back next month with, I'm sure, is going to be another fabulous talk. And as soon as she emails me the correct link, I will put it in the show notes so you can register for her free boot camp. Yes. Yes. And your little one probably wants to eat now. So yeah, well, she really doesn't need to eat a third meal, but it's like, that's my first meal and she just begs. So I just, at some point I just give up and just give her the hand. Of hand. But you know, what can I say? She has good taste in plant food. So yes. thanks and so she's much. So I cute. How could you say no to that face? Right. It's really, really hard. Thanks so much, Eileen. I look forward to seeing you next month. All right. Thanks, AJ. Bye, everybody. Thank you. And thanks all of you for watching another episode of Chef AJ Live. Please come back at 2 p.m. Pacific time when my guest, I hope I'm pronouncing her name wrong. I probably aren't, aren't, and I can't speak. Lee Shishak, she's going to be making recipes from her new book called Easy Plant-Based Cooking for Two. Take care, everyone. Hope to see you at two. Bye-bye.